0: Hi folks, a quick announcement before the show today. First up, events. We've got three events coming up and they're all in person. I think I said earlier in the year that this was going to be the year of the face-to-face catch-up and it certainly seems to be going that way. So, Thursday the 13th of June. This is for you Brisbane friends. So, the Brisbane Take On Board Meetup will be on Thursday the 13th of June an informal gathering of listeners, program alumni, friends, and connections. It's a free event, so come along. Next up, the 18th of July, this is for our Warnable and Great South Coast Take On Board Friends, an event run in conjunction with Leadership Great South Coast and Bernadette Northeast. Governance from fundamentals to advanced practice. Super Early Bird tickets for this event close on the 10th of June, so get on it. Then the third event, a bit further down the track, The 22nd of August. This is for our Sydney friends, a Take On Board meetup in Sydney. Details of all of these events are on my website. There's a link to that in the show notes, and I would love to see you at one or all of them. Okay, that's it for today. Now, on with the show. Hello. I know. I know. Last week I said that this was the final podcast for Take On Board for 2023. Yet here I am again in your ears. So, I don't know about you, but I listen to a lot of podcasts during the Australian summer period. There's road trips with lots of listening time, or there's walking time with lots of listening time, or just downtime on the couch with the earpods in. Usually, I have loads of podcasts to listen to. It's the equivalent of that pile of books on the bedside table that you just, well, don't always get to. Then, over summer, I get to work on my listening. So, sometimes over summer... I run out of podcasts to listen to. So this year, dear Take On Board community, I don't want you to be left short of listening. So I'm rerunning some of the most popular episodes from 2023 to get you thinking, reflecting and preparing to be your best in the boardroom in 2024. So first up, we'll hear from Tammy Atkins on making the most of digital papers. The second episode in our summer series is Mariana O'Gorman on how to prepare for board meetings. Hot tip, it's way more than just reading the board papers and it starts the day after your last board meeting. And the final in our summer series is Fee Slaven to whet the appetite on the intersection of governance, technology and risk. And if you're new to take on board, well, feel free to go right back to the start. I'll link the first four episodes in the show notes. Sandra Loder on depth and breadth in the boardroom, Rachel Lowry on getting clear on your intentions in joining a board, Michelle Shepard on how to not let imposter syndrome get in your way to the boardroom, and Llewellyn Prane, which was actually the very first podcast I recorded on courageous questions in the boardroom. I don't want you to be running out of listening options. And while I'm here, I also just can't miss the opportunity to encourage you to join us in the flagship program Take On Board Accelerator. If you're in the boardroom and you're looking for a brains trust, a cheer squad, and a governance sounding board, the Take On Board Accelerator program is for you. You'll join nine other people, women and gender diverse people, in a monthly session to grow your governance wisdom. It's all run via Zoom, so you can join from wherever you are in the world. Now, on with the show. (gasps) Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Fee Slaven about governance, technology and risk. Before we start that discussion, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today. For me, I'm on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay respects to elders past and present. I acknowledge their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. I support the Uluru Statement from the heart, and I encourage others in the Take On Board community to do the same. Now, let me introduce Fee. Fee is on the boards of Austin Health, Chair of the Spinal Research Institute and Crime Stoppers Victoria. She's previously been on the board of Vic ICT for Women. Fee is a diversity, inclusion, equality and technology enthusiast, which she actively promotes through her roles as Director for William Buck Victoria and her non-executive board roles. Fee has an exciting career path that includes roles like intensive care nurse, Director of Nursing, National CIO, An Australian ICT Woman of the Year. In short, Fee genuinely loves working with people and enacting change. Welcome to the Take On Board Podcast, Fee. Oh, delighted to be here, hell yeah. I've been looking forward to it. It is so awesome to have you, and we've had already had all sorts of interesting conversations. And in fact, I should say, shout out to Hannah Brown for sending you my way to have you on the podcast. It's not often you know, it's a really interesting career path, nurse to ICT. So I'm going to dig into some of that background. And then you might tell us about your experience with Crime Stoppers as well. But let's dig into some of the background. So tell me about your upbringing and the lessons that you learned. What did you get up to? And who were the leading influences on how you thought and what you did?
1: Oh, lots of great questions. I was raised in a very rural Victoria, so small country towns, and unusually my mother was university educated, but my father was not. And so I have two sisters, and we all went to university, and we were pretty much raised with... You can do anything if you work hard enough, which probably is not true. But anyway, we were all involved and we believed it at the time. So good one to my parents. So And they really encouraged us. And it was all about equality. My dad was surrounded by strong women, including the dog and the cat that were women. So he had no males to bond with. But if he needed help, he came to us. So there's no waiting for a male to help. We were just seen as being equal and I think having those strong role models definitely helped that you're in a small country environment where you need to be self-sufficient. You need to look after yourself and help others and very strong on community as such. So I thank
0: my parents for all those values. You know, for your dad, I'm kind of interested in how he came to be in that place and was not the slight, I'm hoping, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but wasn't threatened by that. Just, you know, here's how it is. And the women in my world are all strong, smart women, and I can go to them. I'm guessing that wasn't really common in that time. So what was it about him? Do you think that made him comfortable enough in his own self to be able to do that?
1: I think he was, he wouldn't like the term feminist. He's no longer with us, but I'm sure he would not like that. And he wouldn't view himself as that. I think he would view himself as tolerant. So tolerant of women that knew what they wanted, what they wanted to do, and that they were willing to work to pursue that. And that, doesn't always get you where you want to go but he was very supportive of that and because he was so strong in the community it's really hard to say promote equality as such and look after everybody equitably if you're not doing the same at home and he would have been called on it and there were things that mum really did have the strength in and so did we and in fact I remember helping Dad after he retired because his work called him back, and he said, "Oh, I'll go back." I said, "Oh no, I'm going to negotiate, far better deal." And he turned to me and said, "All that university really has started to pay off." It's like, I'm
0: happy to help you, Dad, because he was willing to link in where we had expertise. Well, I hope he's not turning in his grave for me calling him a feminist. My apologies to him.
1: <laughs> I think if it was turning in his grave, it'd be all the other things that I'm doing. So you're very <laughs> low on the
0: list. Excellent. Excellent. All righty. And so that community, that involvement in the community has continued with you. You've been involved in a number of community organisations, including Crime Stoppers. We were chatting just prior... About your experience this morning, maybe just the highlights or the lowlights of that that part of happened this morning, and uh, your first interaction as a user of Crime Stoppers. So maybe actually a couple of things. Firstly, how and why did you get involved in Crime Stoppers, and then maybe just share us the little anecdote from this morning. Very funnily enough, I was contacted by a
1: recruitment agency in regards to a board position. They didn't say it was Crime Stoppers to start off with, but it became very evident it was. And it was linked through the networks that you have. Someone I'd worked with said, oh, we know someone that that is community minded, does technology. She'd probably be interested. And um, I just stepped off the Vic ICT for Women board. And I wasn't looking for another board, but I really do passionately believe that we should support community and that we are stronger together. And so that Crime Stoppers adds an invaluable service and it's independent of the VIC police. So I thought that was a great thing. So funnily enough, as we're chatting this morning, I had never used the services of Crime Stoppers before, but this morning when I was walking the dog at 6 30 a.m. and listening to take on board the podcast, there was a car accident. And the it was a single vehicle accident, slipped in the wet, and the person involved wasn't hurt the car was badly damaged, but was very keen not to be there. And that seemed a bit strange. So I just took the car details, the number plate, and I submitted a report. So it will probably go nowhere, but if it is, then I've helped with the community as well. But I'm pretty chuffed with myself that it's my first engagement on the day of this podcast. (laughs)
0: Oh, there you go. The governance roles that we hold come around, uh, you know, pop up in our lives in weird and wonderful ways. And it's probably a good thing that you haven't had to use Crime Stoppers until now. Like not having to use it is actually awesome. I've never used Crime Stoppers, And with all due respect to the organization that you're part of, I hope I never have to. But I know it's there should I need it, as do others. And that's right. And it's all those little bits of information that
1: make a difference. And if, again, like in life, in governance, in anything, it's the behaviors you walk past that you accept. And you think, oh, it's not important, but it might be. And it's no harm. So it's a great
0: organization because I'm clearly biased. Well look, that tells us a bit about how you got on that board. I would love to hear a bit more about you've got such an interesting mix of skills. Like I say, nurse to ICT. And you're on the board of the Austin, which for them is gold. The Austin Health, it's a hospital, major hospital here in Melbourne. Like for them having those clinical skills and ICT skills, oh my gosh, what a gold mine you are. So Talk us through a bit about your journey to the boardroom and how you managed to mix that set of skills.
1: So it actually flows. I would say, though, you know, as a previous CIO, when people say, oh, what was your journey? I wouldn't say take nursing as a part of your way to become a chief information officer. That's not the way I would encourage you to do it. But I actually did nursing because I didn't know what to do and mum encouraged me. And from day one, I knew I wanted to be an ICU nurse. I loved all the machines that go ping which links in with technology. I loved the dealing with people that were the sickest of the sick. And that was just fantastic for me. And so I worked in ICU actually at the Austin. And and my specialties were spinal cord injuries and head injuries. So that sort of links into where I am now. And I loved the nursing and I've learned so much, you know, the practicality, the risks, the governance, because that is life or death which is very different to the things that I do now. However, I then wanted to make a change and I've done quite a bit of study. But during my study, again, through networks and meeting people, there was a position going at a health group for a business analyst, which I didn't quite know what it was, but I was pretty sure I could do it. So I went from, at that time, a very senior role to a business analyst and dropped $70,000 in a week, which was eye-opening. And that started my second career in technology, and I really loved it. So I still deal in machines, processes, but they don't go ping so much. And if
0: I have a glitch in the matrix, I'm not going to kill anyone, which is a great thing. That's true. It is an interesting thing being on a hospital board. Often in the boardroom, it's like, well, you know, no one's going to die as a result of this decision. It's like, mm, not quite the case in hospitals. Yeah. When I took on the Austin Health, it was before COVID.
1: And I can honestly say that for me, it was a life-changing experience because I was on a major teaching hospital board during a pandemic we had never seen before. And the care and requirement for all those attending and supporting and the staff and the community was continually evolving. And it was just amazing, exhausting and inspiring, all of the above. And I consider myself incredibly fortunate to have played a part in that.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree as the hospital I was on the board of during that period. It was very different to one of the Austin. It's a, you know, tertiary hospital, a women's hospital. So very different. But I feel really honored in a way to have been part of that period. I just want to flick back to something. So a moment ago you said when you were talking about taking this business analyst role, you said, I didn't know what it was, but I was pretty sure I could do it. So that is a beautiful confidence to have in something that you don't know anything about. We don't always hear that. What's your advice to people who, whether it's a board role or something else, like often a board rolls, people don't have that confidence to throw their hat in the ring when they don't know what it is, but they're pretty sure they could do it. What's your advice there?
1: I think that you have to be, and and that's a recommendation, be a bit brave and a bit bold. You have to know the skills that you have. And quite often, and this is a generalization, women want to tick every box, but we can't. And you know, other people wait for us to tick every box, and that's not going to be the way. And we develop and learn our skills. And when I joined the Vic ICT for Women Board, that was my very first board. I was so excited. It was definitely a working board. I had only been accepted that day, and the chair phoned me and said, "We would also like you to consider being the director of Go Girl Go for IT, which encourages recruitment, retainment, and promotion of girls." Women in IT. And I was like, that's awesome. I absolutely want to do that. Count me in. And I hung up the phone and I said to my husband, I need to look up what that is because I don't know, but it's an event. I love an event and I'm very organized. So let's jump on that road and see where we get to. And six years of amazing skills and learning and networking and getting to know people and I absolutely got as much as I gave and when I left and handed that over and it's still a fantastic program running we had over 2,000 girls attending from all around Victoria free learning about ICT and that's where our next generation of leaders are coming from and I just think that's so terrific but at the time I really wasn't quite sure, but I knew that I wasn't alone. People would help me and
0: I'd help them. So yeah, I, I like to say yes. Way back when I started this podcast, I did an interview with the fabulous Michelle Shepard and she reflected on her year of saying yes. It sounds to me like you've got a lifetime of saying yes. It's just like, sure, let's give it whatever that is. Let's give that a crack. I think you can have amazing experiences
1: by saying yes. And sometimes they may not be as amazing or, you know, as positive, but that's a part of it. But in general, I have met so many truly fabulous people and seeing things that I probably wouldn't have if I hadn't said yes, taken a bit of a risk. You know, even moving from nursing at that time, I was a director of nursing in an aged care facility to a business analyst. People thought I was mad with ICU qualifications. Why would you do that? But here I am, and I'm sure I've got another career in me. I just haven't worked out what it is. When I grow up, I know that there will be something else. So I love what I do. I love where I work now, but you never know what's next around the corner.
0: It's interesting, too, that you were managed to package up those skills that you had as an ICU nurse around risk and around governance, I guess, and around probably communication and those sorts of things rather than inverted commas, just clinical skills. You were able to see that it those the skills that you had could be seen in a different way and a different format. Again, what's your advice to others in thinking about what they do, whatever their role might be in chunking up those skills into a more governance type environment to get into the boardroom?
1: Initially, I didn't see those skills as transferable.
0: I had to change
1: my language a bit. So where we talk about Prioritising, I would have said triaging. So there are different terminologies in understanding the languages, and sometimes it's even with industries. So in health, there's an SCI, which is spinal cord injury. In Crime Stoppers, an SCI is a serious crime incident. I was aghast at how many spinal cord injuries Crime Stoppers were reporting. So I had to understand the different acronyms as such, which was, there is some fun in there when you get them wrong. But you've got to be also comfortable as saying, I don't understand that, you know, from my background, this is the norm. So it's being able to recognise those skills may not be exactly what people are looking for, because you haven't explained how they actually fit. So someone once told me I got knocked back on a job because I didn't have experience with dealing with difficult people. I worked in intensive care with the transplantation unit as well, and we had difficult conversations every day. And again, my specialisations were spinal cord injuries, which is the biggest difficult conversation you're going to have. And I was really surprised that I couldn't articulate that at that interview. So I've learnt to use language that is across that industry, and also to have comfort that I do have some of those skills. And I've already demonstrated that I can change careers twice. So I have the adaptability and flexibility to do that, and probably even more than that. And sometimes I get it wrong, but sometimes I get it right, and I'm always willing to share that with others and have a bit of a laugh at myself of, maybe you took on too much. No, that can't be right. Just keep working.
0: I want to pick up in there, it's a bit of a sideways in a way, but that adaptability and flexibility and communication, obviously, key skills for board directors. Now, your specialty around governance, technology and risk, sometimes directors go, oh, technology and risk, that's not my bailiwick. That's not where I play, so I'll just let others deal with that. But we also know that, you know, directors need to be across all of those things. So what's your advice to directors that might think, oh, technology and risk, that's not me? What's your advice to them to use some of that, to use their perspectives and their insights into an area that might not be their deep specialty but they still need to be across?
1: you need to look at the board as a whole because you're all there bringing different skills. And so you might have some, you know, a legal representative or a a clinical or depending on what board you're on or an accountant, so many varied skills. You don't have to be an expert, but you do have to understand the ramifications and you can't just rely on one person or even two. You're helping making those decisions. You're accountable and responsible. And risk is risk. You can't really say risk isn't for me because every industry, every work has risk at varying levels. Risk can be your best friend, understanding your appetite and tolerances, and they're buzzwords, but what can you accept and what can't you? What will drive you if you're feeling comfortable all the time? Is that a good risk profile? So is your business thriving? No, is it stagnant? Well, then you, you could look at risk sort of things. The governance and the technology, again, I understand that technology can be quite scary, but you can't avoid it. And if you're avoiding it, then you're part of the problem. So you can put in every firewall, every mechanism, every fancy contraption and software, and all we need is one person to enter their credentials, and we've just untied all the great work of the technology team. Congratulations. So the biggest issue is always people in communication, in risk, in technology. So we have a responsibility, whether you're a board member or not, is being curious, understand, find areas or people that can help you, podcasts, you know, resources, things that you're interested in, start small, get bigger. If you don't understand what multi-factor authentication is, for example, just look it up and then say to someone, I don't get this MFA thing. Can you just give me the MFA for dummies? And someone will. And then suddenly you'll realise you are taking on things. If you want to take on the full cybersecurity, you will blow your mind because there's so many things associated with it and it's forever changing. But you as a board have to be strengths and weaknesses and support each other, but you lift everybody up. So that's my theory is don't be scared of it. If you're saying it's not for me, you're saying that because you know you have that deficit in the area. So you have that responsibility to lift yourself. And it's okay
0: to say, I don't know. And in fact, my punt is, if you say, I don't know, in the boardroom, there will be others who are like, oh, thank God they've said that because I don't know either. And that person was brave enough to say it. Back to your bravery theme. And I think also, yeah, that it's, times people talk technical and you can do that in
1: any industry or specialization and sometimes that's because that's where their safe space is but other times it's because they they don't know either and if you can say can you explain that to me in just simple terms and if they can't then that's a problem in itself that's a risk so If no one but the very specialised person can understand, then you're probably single point sensitive and there's another risk. So it all ties in together.
0: I'm wondering, in particularly in relation to technology, for the boards that you're on, where does it sit? Is it the risk and technology, for example? Is it the committee? Is it the finance and technology? So I'd love to know just where tech sits in the governance structures. And I'd also be interested to hear who's involved On those committees as well, just to give some, you know, tips to others about where it sits, because it it doesn't always have that natural place that some of the other risks might have. So, yeah, just in practical terms, talk us through where it sits on the boards that you're involved in and who's involved. It varies
1: throughout, but tech sits everywhere. So, there's not a committee that it doesn't be involved with. So, I'm on the people and culture committee, for example, at Austin. But you're looking at a HRIS system, you know, as such, well, then that's tech It's still dealing with people. But how do you make the system most efficient and effective and compliant with legislation? Enterprise bargain agreements, you want to make that because it's a legal requirement. So that forms a part of tech. Then you have clinical tech and they're areas that are not my areas of expertise, but I love, just so interested in that. And then you've got all the other areas of tech. You know, just phones, having systems up and running, protecting yourself from others. Then when we had COVID, what systems can you quickly put in place to develop registers, booking systems? How do you make a system that has suddenly gone from nothing to having thousands of people require something how can you do that with technology? So it is pervasive throughout. And so to say you don't understand it is not okay. You don't have to be an expert. You're not designing it, but you under, need to understand and, and understand what are the risks associated, especially when you link to security. So even the, the Spinal Research Institute has a system where it they've developed called SCORE, which is actually bringing researchers from all around the world together so they can collaborate. Because researchers in spinal cord injury are like a unicorn holding a five-leaf clover. So you want to get them all together and really working together, especially in nations that where we are very fortunate compared to other nations that are less fortunate. So, because anyone who's got a lived experience of a spinal cord injury will then benefit. And so if you look at every board and Crime Stoppers, well, you're taking phone calls, you're doing things online, you're linking, de-identifying that information so that it's usable, but the people are safe providing that information. You know that's tech. So there isn't a committee, and I'm on a few committees, who doesn't love a committee, and just doing that by Teams or Zoom or whatever method, that's tech. It's made our lives so much easier
0: and better. So I don't think you can exclude tech from anything that we do. I love that. And your reflection before about It's all about the people. It's not a system. It's not a, as you said way back earlier about your ICU days, it's not the machine that goes ping. It's the person using that system or the person hooked up to that system or whatever it may be. It's all about the people.
1: I often say to my team when I'm having a problem, because just because I like tech doesn't mean I'm always great at it. And I will start with, I'm pretty sure it's the tool using the tools that's the problem, which is me.
0: So can you show me? how I am ruining these very adequate tools. See, now I'm reflecting back to the very start of our conversation where I was a couple of minutes late because I was having a little battle with my stand-up desk that wouldn't go to stand-up. Yeah, it was probably the tool using the tool, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's good to have insight. You can't control it, but it's good to have
0: insight. (laughs) Oh, Fee, so much gold in here. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I think
1: a couple of things, and we talked about being brave and being bold, and you know that I know, no won't kill you. Being told no, and if you've just got a little bit of chest pain or adrenaline, that's good for you. If you've got real chest pain, please call triple zero, because that's not okay. I think that we use the term networking, and I'm an extrovert. I love meeting people and it's a highlight, but I find the term networking quite difficult. So I always think of it as they're just friends I haven't met yet. So I'm going out to meet people that I haven't met yet and to in my collection of people that I really want to talk to and I'm curious of. And probably the last thing I would really say is be confident enough to identify what you want and then tell people because then they're like your advocates and referers so it's not just fee wanting something oh well, yeah it's just we've got all these people working for us and then if they know what you want they may hear something and we can have that women's network that is just so strong which we should and we should be paying it forward and helping any other we can we should help anyone but i'm really biased towards women and just helping others We may not be able to reach, but we'll help others
0: get there. Absolutely. And it helps everybody out then too. If somebody says, oh, I need somebody who can do this, you're helping out both sides of the equation. I love it. Is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Oh, there absolutely is. And I'm saving it for
1: local ladies, and I do know them, but Anna Lobel and Claire Pales, who have written The Secure Board. It's a fantastic book on cybersecurity with, you know, five elements, and it's just really simple to read. And I encourage anybody that's interested in board work or executives, anyone, to have a read of the book, and the ladies are fabulous and have just made it quite simple and achievable to work through
0: great sounds like we'll have a little conversation when we finish this about maybe getting introducing me to anna to get her on the podcast
1: <laughs> oh absolutely she'd be a gem
0: excellent she'd be a gem. oh fee thank you thank you so much for sharing your wisdom for sharing your marvelous enthusiasm for life your year of yes into a life of yes thank you so much for being here taking the call. Thanks Hannah for the introduction and thanks for sharing your wisdom today with the Take On Board community.
1: Thanks Helio, it's been glorious and and thank you for having me. It's
0: been fun. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women and gender diverse people together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board on Facebook to find us. I'd also really love it if you could do some of the other, well, podcast things. Share the podcast with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.